On this episode of the Grizz Podcast, my guest is Dr. Stephen L. Jones. Stephen is a husband, a father. He's the pastor at Kingsland Baptist Church in Katy, Texas. He's a professor at Rice University in Houston, Texas, as well as an author. His area of specialty is in ancient languages, as well as the Greek and Latin roots of medical language. He has also taught at several universities on the important subject of rhetoric, which is the art of effective or persuasive speaking or writing, especially the use of figures of speech and other compositional techniques. Now, this is a two-episode conversation. There was just too much good stuff to fit into one episode, so I split it up. Here in part one of my conversation with Dr. Stephen L. Jones, we talk about what he likes to do for fun, you know, pleasure, relaxation, and also his favorite rock band. Dude, this is crucial information that I need to know from every person that comes on this podcast. We also talk about his favorite movies and four books that had a major impact upon his life and why. Of course, we talk about marriage, family, parenting, and his life growing up in a Christian military family, and when he truly made his parents' faith his own faith and why he chose to do that. We also talk about his personal call to ministry and his various educational pursuits and degrees and why he chose to go the direction that he went. Guys, I promise you, you're going to want to grab your journal and a pen, and take some notes from this brother. So many great takeaways. And on part two of our conversation, we dive into the heated topic of abortion and how to better engage in conversations with people who hold an opposing view. You are going to want to take notes from that episode as well. I have links in the show notes for you to learn more about myself and my ministry and how to connect with me, as well as links for you to learn more about Dr. Stephen L. Jones and his ministry and how to connect with him. So here we go. Oh, yeah. You're listening to The Grizz Podcast, where our mission is to help boys become men and to help men become better men. It's going to be raw, it's going to be real, and it's going to be relevant. Now, here's your host, Jason George. I'm your huckleberry. Dr. Stephen L. Jones, dude, welcome to the Grizz Podcast. It is an honor to have you, brother. It's good to be here. Glad. Thanks for the invite. Man, I wanted to have a conversation with you about one of the most controversial subjects in our country that is once again receiving a whole lot of attention due to the recent Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe, and that is the subject of abortion. You and I have a mutual friend whom I've had on the uh, Grizz podcast before, Dallas Bozeman, and he texted me about a week ago, and he said, yo, man, 
You need to get Dr. Stephen L. Jones on your podcast to talk about abortion, his apologetics, and his knowledge of ancient languages and medical language takes dismantling the pro-choice argument to another level. And man, that sounded like a great idea to me since I recently did an episode on abortion that was entitled, Roe is Overturned, But Don't Be an Arrogant Ass. And there was so much important stuff on that subject that I just couldn't cover in one episode. And also, my knowledge is limited. But uh, my whole goal, just so you know, with that episode was to help Christian men better understand what this historic Supreme Court decision means and explain what we need to do better um, just to understand about abortion and how to properly come across as uh, just the right way. I'm tired of us coming across sometimes like an uncaring, arrogant ass. Like we won the argument, but did we really win the person? And at times I've been like that and I don't want to be. I want myself and also the guys that listen to this podcast to be well-informed. I want them to be educated, intelligent, equipped regarding this important subject of abortion. But I also want us to be calm, in control, gentle, loving, as we talk to people with opposing views. So we're going to get into abortion. But before we do, I just want our listeners to get to know you as a man. So I got a few questions questions just to throw at you to help them get to know you better, brother. Let's go. So first of all, I always like to ask the guests that come on as a man, what do you like to do just for fun, pleasure, relaxation? If you foresee a day off is in three days and I can do Uh anything that I want, what are some things that you're like, dude, this is top of the list right here? Well, um, if, if, if moving around is not uh, on the table, I love I love just watching sports. So watching base baseball is my favorite the idea of just sitting and watching a game. I could feel the tension go out of my shoulders just by the prospect of watching a baseball game. Um, but you know, being outside, I love, if I have the opportunity to get near water, I will. Uh, we, I live in Houston. And so getting, getting close to the ocean and just being near it. Um, however, I can be on the water and near the water, the sound of moving water, man, just makes me excited. My, my wife's from, uh, from Colorado and we'll get up in the mountains, mm. man. There's something about a crisp, cool air, the sound of moving water through the mountains and just, you know, being, being out there with my family. Absolutely love it. Yeah. That's awesome. Now, how about any favorite rock bands growing up? Anything stand out? (laughs) It was funny. A mentor of mine in ministry is kind of interesting. Uh, He got me addicted to a seventies rock band, Boston. Oh yeah. (laughs) So um, it was, he listened to him when he was in high school and I just, there's something about just, Aren't they the ones, um, more than a feeling? More than a feeling. I looked out this morning and the sun was gone. Turned on some music to start my day. Then lost myself in a new song. Oh, yeah. 
they're just it's 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 the the bands that were before the 80s hair bands and Mm -hmm. these guys are talented musicians and they're but it's also just sort of mindless rock there's one there's one line um come on you know you know it's now or never take a chance on rock and roll like this was the thing that we were (laughs) we were worried about what to do with our lives it's just kind of mindless but it's 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 wonderful yep um that's good, so, man. How about favorite movies? What stands out to you? <laughs> well, my dad was in the military, and so I, I grew up watching war movies with him. I love, again, I love the the old Patton movie, George mm-hmm. C. Scott Patton. Um, what are the movies that they're always, when I see them, they're always on, and I, I watch them. I love uh, The Martian. I don't know what I love about that movie, but it's just <laughs> something about... Um, Is that the Matt you know, Damon one? The Matt Damon one, yeah, right? Yeah, okay. You're trapped on Mars... And he has to find a way to overcome and sort of I've never rugged seen that. What? I've never seen that one. Oh my goodness. This is, <laughs> this is a great movie. It's funny. My wife laughs at me because uh, she knows I've kind of had a bad day when she comes home and I'm just kind of sitting on the couch watching the Martian. There's something very, um, it, it's a cool thing. A guy gets thrust into a, 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 a complicated situation that seems overwhelming and just tackles it. And it's it's inspiring, and it's just a fun watch. Cool. So. I'm going to check it out, man. There How about uh, give me three books that had a major impact upon your life other than the Bible? <laughs> um, okay, so three books. I would go – I can tell you one book that absolutely changed my life. It's one of those books. It was like a watershed book. I know that the water of my life started flowing in a different direction because of this one book, and it was Between Heaven and Hell by Peter Kreeft. K-R-E-F-E-E-F-T. I am familiar um, with him. I read yeah. his book. Um, what's the one where he takes on the dialogue with um, Socrates? And- oh, yeah. So he has, a whole, there's, he has one called The Unaborted Socrates, which is about the pro-life. It's a, it's a, it's a dialogue between him and where Socrates in, in investigates people. He has Socrates meets Jesus. It wasn't that one. It was where so- Socrates goes on a college campus. Oh, did you? I don't read- know this one. Okay. Yeah. He's written a couple of them. All right, go ahead. Um, But so, so between heaven and hell is an imagined dialogue between JFK, CS Lewis and Aldous Huxley who all died on the same day. Most people realize that that. the same day and year in history, um, the same day Kennedy was getting assassinated, CS Lewis died and Aldous Huxley. And so Peter Kreeft imagines this dialogue between CS Lewis, the Christian Aldous Huxley, the pantheist, all is good, all is God. There's many ways up the mountain. And then JFK, who embodied um, the the secular humanist. I don't got time for religion. Just this world is all I'm going to focus on. Mm. And it's a quick read. I can remember where I was when someone recommended it to me. I can still take you to the bookstore in San Antonio I bought it from. And I read this book. And all of a sudden, it was the first time I read a book that was like, I realized how deep the answers to Christian Christianity's how, how, how deep the answers that Christianity gave to all of life's questions were. Mm. And it made me want to know more. Yeah. I, I, I think I read the book in the, in an afternoon or an evening. It's cause it, cause it's, it's written in a dialogue form, like a screenplay, but man, after that, I went and read probably the next book that was super influential for me was C.S. Lewis's mere Christianity. Yes. Um, which f- very accessible argument for the, for the, the existence of God, the truth of Christianity and how to, how Christians are supposed to live. Mm. And so that sort of led me to sort of a life of realizing Christianity was a robust faith that it had answers to all of life's questions. And I could seek after them. And there were people who were stronger and wiser and smarter than me who had been asking the same questions I've been asking. And I could get involved with and stand on their shoulders and maybe see farther than I currently was seeing. Yeah. That's, 
Outstanding, man. Well said. Um, I'm a fan of Peter Kreeft and also C.S. Lewis. And um, I haven't read all of C.S. Lewis's works, but there are a few that I just keep going back to. My favorite is Mere Christianity, like you said, and then the Screw Tape Letters. Yep. Um, there's so much to pull from the Screw Tape Letters that um, he is yep. alluding to that some people breeze over. So. You know, it's funny. There's a there's another book. Screwtip letters are amazing. Most people uh, don't know about this, but the best audio book. It's hard to find, but you can still find it on eBay. The best audio version of the Screwtip letters is recorded by John Cleese from Monty Python. Oh wow! And it is that's not the the standard. The standard one is actually um, now that you buy that you buy like Audible is the the narrator is Joss Acklin, who was the uh, Soviet prime minister in the movie Hunt for Red October. And he has a good austere voice, but John Cleese from Monty Python doing screw tape letters is absolutely amazing. No, I got um, the recorded version years ago. It was on a, a kind of a set of CDs, yep. but it was by focus on the family. And I think mm-hmm. they pulled the guy who was doing the voice for a lot of the Lord of the Rings stuff and had him okay. do some voices. Okay. Yeah. But the, the John Cleese one, he reads it like, wow, it's exceptional. It's absolutely, it's, it's amazing. And then the the underappreciated C.S. Lewis book, I think, uh, that's cha- affected my thought more than I realized is The Great Divorce. Okay. Um, What's C.L- the basis of that? So The Great Divorce is, um, it's like, it's, so it's based on the idea of him exploring on a fictional level the relationship between heaven and hell. Mm. Um, and he, he describes it like, um, he describes the journey to heaven like a bus trip you take to heaven. And That's right. he I've wake, heard about this. And so he wakes up, he comes to, he, he wakes up in his life and it really is the afterlife. And he realized he's standing in line to get on a bus in a bad part of town in, at, a, at a gray twilight. Mm. And the reason why it's, so it's a fictional book and you have to realize it's fictional, but it's him going to heaven. And it helped me deal with one, one key dimension to, uh, to the faith, which is sometimes we, we focus a lot on God's judgment, which is true. God is a holy God and God, God loves you and God, um, but God takes sin seriously. But sometimes we sell Christianity like, you know, uh, God hates you and is going to burn you in hell for all eternity unless you know this secret answer called Jesus. <laughs> um, but uh, Great Divorce tells this, uh, tells the story of, guess what? Um, hell is a place you'll never leave. Mm. You, you keep thinking God's excluding you from heaven, but the message that that, that, that Jesus tells all throughout scripture is hell's a, hell's a place you'll never leave because hell's doors are locked from the inside and heaven's a place you're not going to want to go to. Mm. Um, and so it's all the, the story is about all these people who, um, who have a chance to go to heaven and don't. Mm. And you think about it, like uh, all the things that Jesus taught, all the parables Jesus tells about like, I called a lot of people and they're not coming. Mm. Right. I invite a lot of people and they have better things to do. Yeah. Um, and that it's a, it's a fascinating thing. It, it reminds me that um, it gave me a, 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 another perspective on the fact that you, we think God is intentionally excluding people from this magic wonderland called heaven. The truth is he's been inviting you for, he's inviting you and you've been finding reasons not to go. Mm. Um, I'm intrigued. And now yeah. I'm going to read it. I, this is why I hate doing interviews sometimes. Cause I'm always asking guys what they're reading, what books, and then yep. I go order it. I've got this stack probably like <laughs> you do that. I'm like, this is the unread pile. There you go. Yep. All right. What's the third one? So I got between heaven and hell, the great divorce. What's another one that really stood out? Okay. Um, I, I guess mere Christianity was in there too, but okay. um, one that, one that uh, I really loved that was an integral part of, of me sort of 
Getting Through a Dry Spell in My Life was a book by a guy named A.W. Tozer. He was a pastor from the early 20th century. He wrote a book called The Pursuit of God. Mm. Man, just like learning to learning to seek God with your whole life and realize it's in the midst of those dry spells. It's in the midst of the, of, of wondering what God is up to, or if God, if he's really there or, or how to seek after him, how to seek after God in those moments was, it was a challenging book. The only, the only caveat I give to people reading Tozer, Tozer's a wonderful man. He's down to earth. He's practical. Um, but he quotes from the KJV. He, he, he was, he wrote in the early part of the 20th century. He was a Chicago pastor. And so he quotes from the KJV. And when he lists a prayer, it's it's old King James English. Yeah, I've wanted to just go edit Tozer and just and just put in put a modern translation and to make his because if if he if it was a modern translation with a modern um, prayers modern sounding prayers people would love it but people get turned off by the archaic thing. It's all that's the only warning I have about Tozer, but his stuff. Yeah, I have. So, uh, I'm looking at like six books from Tozer, and uh, I really enjoyed him because he's not just extremely intelligent, knows the word, but he seemed to be from what I gathered, is a man that really walked with God. Yeah. And I think he even took some heat for people almost calling him a mystic. And I'm like, yeah. but he wasn't. Like, he he was pursuing what I think all of us really want to pursue, but sometimes we turn Christianity into just in, intellect or we turn it yep. into, uh, you know, the, the morning academic study. That's your quiet time. And, like, I want to know God. Yep. I want to walk with him. I want to hear from him. I want him to yep. guide. So... That's good. That's, man. that's what that, that's what pursuit of God did for me. It showed me um, seeking God meant more than just learning fun Bible facts about God. I think it's where, where a lot of people, you know, people say, I don't got to go to church. I got I want to just go out in the woods and meet God in nature. You know what? You should meet God in nature. You're going to encounter the God who created nature when you're out there. Mm. But um, but it's a long that expression is a longing for something more than just intellectual facts about the faith. Mm. You want you want to be transformative in your life, and so you need to find a way to do both. Like the psalm was it Psalm nineteen says the heavens are declaring the glory of God. Evidently, this psalm spent some the psalmist spent some time outside. He he worshipped <laughs> God in nature. Yes, and then he goes on to say the the law of the Lord is perfect and it purifies the soul. You know, mm. you got to connect nature with God's word, and then he ends with you know, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. Mm. Like yes, go worship God in nature, but go worship God and just seek Him in your Word too. In His Word too, see how the two are connected, and see how both of those are going to transform your life. Yes, I'm so. with you, man. Like I, I enjoy my time in my I call it the Grizz Cave where I'm sitting right now in my study. Um, but at the same time, there's nothing like taking my backpack, my Bible, journal, pen, water bottle, everything I need, and I'm just gone for a day. And so you're out there enjoying nature, but then to listen to God through his creation, what's going on? God speak to me, but I'm also not looking for some weird (laughs) mystical revelation. That's not in scripture. So at times it just crack open the word, man. And it comes alive as you're out there. Let me ask you this though, with you being a pastor and a professor and teaching, I know you have to do a large amount of reading and studying. Are you, mostly doing audiobooks to try to take in a, a greater quantity of new reading or are you still going with just regular reading how are you doing it man um there's a there's just a lot of different ways i approach it i'm just an omnivore um i start with people always say how do you learn all this stuff or remember all this stuff i i try to redeem the time as much as possible there are certain times when i i don't feel i try to keep from feeling the pressure to always be efficient there's this there's this quest for efficiency where we feel like we have to be maximizing every moment. 
And sometimes you need to realize that God gave us a Sabbath because there's a time when he was telling you, will you please stop working? Will you just be for a second? And so there was a time when I, I was like feeling a little guilty about not redeeming this 35 minute commute that I had. And my wife was going, Steve, you're, you're just checking out. You're, you're taking it, putting it in new, you're putting your brain on neutral for a little bit just to recharge. And that's okay. Yeah. You don't have to have be efficient every moment, but you know, I, I read a lot. I, I listen to audiobooks. Um, but, but honestly, I let what I'm interested in drive that I, some people feel like they need to, um, they need to dive into something and, and but they, they're, they're, it's not clicking with their brain yet and their heart or their mind or their passion is someplace else. Um, I just try to tell people, what are you interested in right now? And just kind of lean into it and seize the moment. Yeah. Uh, the trick for me is to realize how much how much time I don't redeem. And by not redeemable time, it's not, it's not, it's not penalizing myself for resting. It's, there are times I think that I'm just killing time because I'm waiting for the next thing to happen. And I realized for me that my default for that is for my hand to go to my pocket, me to pull out my phone and me to scroll through some apps. Oh yeah. And I'm like, no, this is the moment that, that, that I need to redeem because I'm, I'm wasting time. This is this isn't recharging. This isn't relaxing. This isn't nourishing my soul. This is just me killing time till the next thing happens. And so finding moments in there to like how about you? But sometimes I feel like I can't start a book unless I'm at a quiet spot in the day and I have a time set aside to read. Guess what? That never happens. I got a lot of kids. I got a lot of little projects going on. Mm -hmm. But just but my daughter reminded me of this. My daughter just carries a book with her. Mm -hmm. And and you know, we're waiting. And when I'm looking at my phone, she's she's re reading two more pages. That's awesome. You know, I was a youth pastor for a long time. And I remember my answer to young people that would say to me like, well, you know, Pastor Jason, I hate reading. And my reply was always, no, you hate what you've had to read. When you find something that is your world, your thing, I'm like, you mm -hmm. can't put it down. And I said, that's what you've got to search out. Well, I don't like Christian reading. I'm like, you haven't found the right thing yet. Yep. <laughs> I agree. And like, it always makes me sad because we, uh, we, we teach people to, to hate reading by assigning a whole lot of reading. Um, but it, it really disconnects people from God's word. Like the God, we serve a God who creates by speaking. He, 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 uh, he spoke the world into existence and he reveals himself through words. If you hate reading, you are going to find it, find yourself disconnected from God's word mm. and God himself, because words are one of the primary vehicles where whereby we engage with him. And so, okay, how can I learn? How can I learn to love the word? Like, so we, we homeschool our kids just so we can be fully weird. And, um, <laughs> and one of the things that at the center of it is word centered education, mm. getting people to love words. Cause if I can get you to love words, then um, you are going to love the word. Mm. And I think about the Psalm one has been that whenever, whenever I don't know what I'm going to do, I always go back to Psalm one, which says, you know, how blessed is man who doesn't doesn't uh, walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Um, he'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. Um, and it, it lists three three things that will happen if you will plant yourself next to the word, and just drink it in. It says you'll be fruitful. You'll bring forth your fruit in your season. In whatever you do, you'll prosper and uh, your leaves will never wither. The idea that you can be effective, fulfilled, and fruitful, but it comes by just patiently drinking in the word and see how he doesn't want to transform you. Yeah. You know? I love uh, but it's, it's, Go ahead. Go ahead. No, it's just, it's just, it's, it's helpful for me to remember that. Like, I don't, I don't have to go, it, it, I don't have to actively go do something necessarily to go find what God wants me to do. He wants me to, he wants me to plant myself like a tree. Yes. 
and, and, and over the slow process, it's a slow process of drinking in God's word and see if he doesn't in the process produce the fruit he designed my life to produce. And, and I, and I know that with the word, even when people sometimes say, well, I'm not into that. I want to say, well, where are you in the Bible? Because there's times where I'm not into the book of Acts during this season of my life, but there's times where it was just thrilling and I couldn't wait to get into it and understand the early church, what was happening. Oh my goodness, look at this thing called the Holy Spirit. What is going on? But then um, over the last couple of years, as I've gone through some serious health issues, infirmities, even some deep depression, man, the Psalms, like it is amazing because it was speaking to me where I was at and the word is just like that. So yep. I mean, the song, me too. The Psalms changed my life. I can take you to the, to the taco shop in Southwest Houston. I was sitting in when I was, when I re-engaged with the Psalms in my life and it, and it changed my life because the Psalms are full of all of the things people felt comfortable saying to God. Hmm. The Psalms are about getting your whole heart on the table. Um, tell God what's on your mind. And God, and the people say some raw things to God, right? Yes. God, are you going to do anything? God, God, are you sleeping? God, are you seeing what's happening to us? God, God, how long are we going to put up with this garbage? Yes. We, we heard how you helped to help the people in the past. Are you ever going to help us? Um, and even and the whole, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That yeah. comes from the Psalms. A lot of people don't yes. realize Jesus was quoting the Psalmist. Yep. Jesus was quoting that Psalm on the cross. Mm. Um, you know, the, uh, the, one of the one of my tagline favorite psalms that I always remind myself is is Psalm sixty two eight which says trust in the Lord at all times pour out your heart before Him He is a refuge for us that reminds us that that there is nothing you can say to God that will shock Him startle Him make Him like a lot of times we get on our knees and we feel like we have to have the have the churchy words to say to God but no trust Him trust Him with whatever's on your heart pour your heart out in front of Him like get it all out there. Not that, not that, so you can tell him something he doesn't already know, but so that you can finally admit all of this stuff is on your heart and then see if he doesn't demonstrate himself to be a refuge for all of that stuff. Yes. Um, I've you, said you, to Cor- guys, um, dare to pray ugly yeah. prayers. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm, I would never condone you praying in such a way that you would ever blaspheme God. You need to fear him. But I do condone praying ugly prayers. I'm going to lose everything that is censored right now or that I'm supposed Mm. to do as a Christian. And this Mm. may just come out where cuss words may drop, anger may drop, (coughs) screaming may drop, tears, snot. Well, dude, he knows your heart anyway. What are you doing? He can can um, handle it. The image that I use is one that I learned in middle school, but is apropos. It's the image of a sea cucumber. Like, um, have you ever, I, I learned about sea cucumbers and they have this one defense mechanism when attacked a sea cucumber barfs up its internal organs and the predator (laughs) eats the internal organs and then swims away and then the sea cucumber grows them back and sometimes god in our prayer life wants us to be a sea cucumber like just barf it all out there Mm. barf it all out there um you know i growing up on military bases i was i always saw people who were trying to train weakness out of you and it taught me to hide right um, and so I was also kind of hiding from God because I was afraid that if I exposed my weaknesses or my fears or my frustration, that that he would shame me, bully me, like I saw what's happening in the world around me. But I realized, no, it's just, this, is, um, this is a God who has a perfect love that casts out fear, right? First John 4, was it 19 or 17? Um, his perfect love casts out fear. And so why can't? He wants us to just cough it all up and see, no, no, 
I, I'm here to address that issue too, right? I'm here to address that issue. Let me show you how you can bring that to me and there's and and, and, and we're here to deal with that as well. Mm. Um, and so many times we either censor ourselves or we cordon off a part of our mind and don't give it fully to God. And God was like, no, 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 no. The best response is what Psalm 139 says, right? Um, Psalm 139 starts off, it's a long enough Psalm that Psalm 139 starts off and ends with the same exact phrase, but we don't see it. It starts off with, oh Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. Okay, you, you, you know when I sit and when I rise, before I speak a word, you know it completely. Every day that's written for me, was ordained for me, is written in your book, all of these things. And after all of this is said and done, it ends with, okay, then search me, Lord, and know my heart. Mm. Asking God to do what he's already been doing. All just so, Your two choices are to pretend you can hide from a God who knows every aspect of your life, or you can willingly ask him to do the thing he's already doing. Mm. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. Search me, Lord, and know my heart. Mm. see if there's any anxious way in me and lead me now that you've searched me, lead me down past the pathways of everlasting life. That's good. That's, That's good. good stuff. How about, um, married kids, family life. Tell me about that. So married, uh, celebrated, uh, 20 years last August by getting COVID. So oh, on wow. our anniversary, exactly our 20th anniversary, <laughs> um, got diagnosed with COVID married 20 years, uh, got six kids, um, age ranges from 16 to two and a half. So wow. love it Four four girls, two boys. It's a handful. I tell people, I think God gave me the four girls first so that um, he'd soften me up some. <laughs> um, and it's, you know, different life. I, t- I told people the, I thought I was prepared for boys to so being a boy myself, but I, but man, it's a different world. <laughs> I, I tell people it's uh, less drama than their sisters, but harder to keep alive. Oh yeah. Yeah. I would agree <laughs> with that. Uh, for the most part, girls are yeah. drama, at least in my experience. They've uh, oh. they've been harder. I've gotten more gray hairs from them. Uh, but yeah, my son, they're different challenges for sure, yep. man. Exactly. Uh, let's see. Are you a dog or cat person? Um, you know, what's weird. I, I think I'm I have a lot of living living things in my house anyway. <laughs> and so you. don't um, need any more. Exactly. My I if I had to pick, I'd be a dog person. But like my, my I have one daughter who's pegging me to be getting wanting me to get a dog. I'm like, look. There's going to come a day when every member of this house can go to a restaurant and be fully accepted and can use the bathroom in that restaurant. Um, and so I don't need another uh, living thing in this house that that um, that I'll have to I'll have to go to the bathroom in the backyard for the rest of his life. So gotcha. But but how about uh, you told us a little bit with the military background, but give us a brief just overview. Did you grow up in a good home, good Christian home. Were you raised in the church? Um, was it dysfunctional, broken? Give us a little recap. Um, I was raised in in a Christian home. My my grandpa was a Baptist preacher. My dad was a was an army officer, uh, Air Force officer, um, and I lived all over the place. And we experienced. I would just characterize it like a um, the the regular things that happen to a family. We I, I know that on the one hand, my parents weren't perfect, mm-hmm. and I got to see. I got to see for looking back on, I didn't realize what I was, had the privilege of witnessing. And I witnessed two people who were being given every reason by the world to give up on their, each other and their families. And I saw them just stay together because they chose to, mm. you know, I got to see, I got to see firsthand uh, them uh, choosing them, each other and choosing, choosing a family. Uh, and, and it, that was inspiring to me. I, we, I, we had our, our share of problems. We had our share of difficulties. We had our share of, of anxieties. Um, but we had people who, you know, they, they trained in me, look, we're just going to go to church. We're, mm-hmm. we're just going to, well, 
I don't know what else to do. We're going to go to church. It's almost like they, 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 they showed me without them really showing me when you have no other place to go, when you have no, no other idea where to go to just go home. Mm. Like you, you're just go here. If you, if you lose the way, go back home here. I and, like that. And, That's how church should be. Yep. Yep. And so like um, you asked my parents, but now my parents have been married, what, 55 years. And if you ask them, what's the secret to staying married that long? He's like, easy. Don't get divorced. Mm. Like, you have to file papers to go get divorced. So don't do that. Mm. Um, and, and, and decide, decide you want to uh, be married more than not. Yeah. Um, just choose that. You can choose. Um, one of the lies we tell ourselves in our society that love is a feeling. Um, being in love is a feeling. It's a wonderful emotion. Um, and it's a, it, it might be a reason you connect with somebody, but love is a choice. Love is a consistent act of the will to place someone else's good above your own. And you can do that no matter how you feel. Yeah, you can be. In fact, it's one of the best ways to bring those in love feelings back is to just say, you know what, I'm kind of mad at my wife right now, but and she's kind of mad at me. But I'm going to go do the dishes. I'm going to go mow the lawn. I'm going to go fix the car. I'm going to go do something for her. I'm going to place her good above my own. And you'd be surprised. I've never fought with my wife while I'm while I'm fixing a car or by or, or when I or when I'm washing the dishes or when I'm when I'm picking up folding when I'm folding. She's never yelled at me while I'm, while I'm folding towels. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so if I serve her and all of a sudden it brings those feelings back. Yeah. Because so. what we easily do is uh, we take the whole entitlement mentality. She's not meeting my needs. She should be more like this. She should talk to me like this. And if you come back to what Christ keeps telling us in Ephesians five, <laughs> I understand that you may not be getting what you wanted from your mm-hmm. bride, but do you have yep. any idea how I felt? But yet yep. I will serve and I will keep serving and yep. it does something. But I always tell young people, I'm like, other than your decision to accept or reject Christ, I think the second most important decision is who you're going to spend the rest of your life with, who you're going to marry. And it's so important that that person is a believer, but you see that that person is also really trying to be like, I want to be the type of believer that is like, uh, I don't know. Some people may get, uh, some may say, like I say, sometimes a real believer who is like, mm. Jesus, I want you to be Lord. I mm. want to please you. Uh, mm. And I know some people become a believer and they begin to come to terms with that and really what right. that means later. But I knew that my wife down deep is like, I want to please God. And so that mm. made all the difference. Like you were saying, like when times got hard, she didn't make the decision to go get divorced. She was like, I'm going to try my best to work through this and love him anyway. And then I was also making that decision when I may have felt the way she felt. And then it has been able to last, thank God for 27 years. And I'm just like, man, so there's gotta be two people, not just one that are committed first and foremost to Christ. And like, I really want to do what's right with you, God. Yep. And then I see it flourish. So yeah, like it's just it's amazing how I, I got I got shown this in our first year of marriage, my first fight that I had with my wife. Um, we were in this little it, they called it a townhome, but it was just a one bedroom apartment on top of the living room. And and we had this fight, and I went upstairs, and she was downstairs. I remember staring at the air conditioner vent in this room, just staring at it, just kind of mad. I knew I was right. Um, <laughs> and then I realized um, this thought came into my head: it's like Steve, you can be right or you can be married. Mm. Pick which pick which one you want to be right now. Cuz there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people who are who believe there are they're dead right and they're sleeping on the couch or they're sleeping by themselves, 
right? You need to decide that you want to be reconciled with this person. Still discuss the matter. So we, went, I went downstairs and I, and I remember the first words out of my mouth, I'm like, what are we, 12? Mm. Um, I still want to talk about it, but it, it actually started a new rule for us. Um, we will have, when, when emotions get heated in the midst of a debate, we'll make sure we maintain physical contact. Because mm. you realize when, when you get mad at somebody, you, you cross your arms and you, and, you, and you withdraw physically and you're waiting for the other person to touch you and you don't want to touch them. Well, how do you do if that? Because sometimes women are just like, don't even touch me right now. Right. <laughs> I know. And so we'll just push pause. and like, okay, when you're ready to talk, we're going to talk about it on the couch and we're going to hold hands while we do it. Wow. Yeah. It just, and, and it's weird how breaking the physical touch. And, and this is a reminder, like, th- yeah, there are times in marriage when you're not going to feel, you're, you're going to feel like you're not going to get what, you're not getting what you need out of the marriage. And you're going to blame the other person mm-hmm. and they're probably feeling the same thing. And you have to tell yourself, okay, the only way out of this cycle is to do what it's, it's one of those verses that we miss in Ephesians because there's a chapter break. Mm-hmm. And we all know Ephesians five, was it 20, you know, wives submit to your husbands and all that stuff. But 519 is actually the start of that passage. It says, mutually submit yourselves yes. to one another in the fear of the Lord. I've said that before. Yeah. It's so a, it's, that's the way. start. So, so how about you go first? How about you stop focusing on your own needs? The marriage is supposed to be this weird reciprocal relationship where I'm not focused on what I want. I'm focused on serving you. And you're not focused on what you want. You're focused on serving me. And somehow, somehow uh, we, we're drawn and kept close together. And if you ever feel like your needs aren't getting met, there's a chance that that she's withdrawn because you've withdrawn. And now you're in a cycle, a withdrawal cycle. So the only way to break it is for someone to go first. Mm. And guess what? You're the man. So how about you go first? Um, and how about you go serve your wife and see if that doesn't change things? Mm. Um, I, I like what you said when you said um, you, you can be right or you can be married. And that is so true. But I've also learned to take that similar mentality into parenting because I have some strong-willed children and I have some children that don't line up with all of my views and my convictions and the way that I view things Mm -hmm. politically and other stuff but we can get we can and we have in the past had some really heated arguments but I am learning I don't have to be right but I do want a relationship with both of my daughters and with my son, regardless if we see eye to eye on everything. So yeah. there is a point sometimes, even with my oldest daughter, who's um, about to begin. Well, she has already begun um, her master's work. She's at St. Louis University. Wow. But there are times that we both have just said, we're going to go kayaking right now. It's dad mm-hmm. and daughter time. And yep. there is no politics that comes up. There is no talk of the divine, mm-hmm. theological. Let, let's enjoy each other. Because I'm like, just because she doesn't align with me or she may say, I disagree. And I may go, no, I'm telling you, you're wrong with this. I know what the scripture says. Mm. I'm like, you know what? Is that the memory that I want to leave her when I pass on? That it's just dad yapping about, I'm right, you're wrong. So I agree with what you're saying, bro. Yeah, it's parenting is one of those things where you end up with, um, like, I mainly want you to know that I love you. And I'm going to love you by telling you the truth. I'm going to tell you the truth when I can, when I have the opportunity, but I'm not going to make every conversation about how we're different. Mm. I want you to know that you are loved by me and you are always um, accepted by me. Um, Like about once a, uh, about once a week now, but uh, someone comes to my office or meets me at church and says, 
I got a problem because like this, me and my child differ so much about this one subject or that I identify in some way that I disagree or I think is sinful. I don't know what to do. And the first thing I said was, I always say this is, why did you love them before they told you this thing or you discovered this thing? Why'd you love them? Well, all those things are true, still true. Um, if you make every conversation about how you're different than them or how this thing that divides you is the focus of your relationship, that's what it'll become. And they'll withdraw from you. And um, they will think their identity is that difference. And guess what? There's this whole group in the world that's going to celebrate them for that difference. Mm. And so one of the great lies in that Christianity has done, it's the it's Satan who... Um, who identifies you as your sin, who says you are your sin, you're nothing but your sin, that's all you'll ever be. Um, and sometimes as Christians, we are so determined to engage with the truth that we forget that in addition to this person's sin, that they're, they're creating the image of God, they're loved by him, and they should be loved by me too. Yes. And how can I show them love in this moment? Um, and, so, and so I tell them, how about you don't answer questions you weren't asked, and how about you learn to demonstrate that their identity is more than this thing that you disagree with them on, and you find ways of finding those common grounds and restoring that relationship to where they feel comfortable in your presence because of it. Like, I, I love the fact that, like, I've just tried from, from the, uh, the youngest age just to, I want to physically and verbally reassure my children like the, some, I once read this article that said that what, what Jesus, what God did for Jesus, God, the father did for God, the son at his baptism mm. was a good, a good indication of how to be a dad. Mm. Um, he, uh, he showed up, he made his presence known. He showed up at Jesus baptism. He showed up. He, um, he made his presence known by, by speaking up and he, he claimed this child as his own. You are my son. And he spoke blessing over him. In you, I am well pleased. And we take this as a spiritual thing, but to say, how can my kid feel my presence, like physically reassure them? How can I verbally reassure them that I claim them as my own? Mm. And, and how can I tell them that, 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 they are, that I, I, I want them in my life and I'm glad they're here? And, you know, they're not, per they're not God. I'm not God. And we're going to disagree about things, but I also know that we share at least some chromosomes. And so I know we have some stuff we common. That's right. And, and so that's good um, stuff, yeah. man. Thank you. Who was instrumental in um, you becoming a Christian? Um, how did you know, that was, happen? What was that like? Well, so growing up in that sort of Christian environment, um, I, I didn't have the weight of my sin moment initially. I think I had, I had sort of pictures of what the abundant life looked like. One of my great mentors is my grandfather. Um, and I had in him uh, a person of what spiritual maturity looked like. Someone who lived out, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added unto you. He, he tried to serve God with his whole life, and I saw how God gave him daily bread. He was never a rich man or in, in, in the world's eyes successful. But he had abundant life, a life that, you know, it's, it's a cool story I can tell you some other time about how, my, he lived in Washington state most of my life. And here I am in Katy, Texas. And my daughter signed up for a discipleship group at our church. And they are being discipled by a woman who went to a church. My grandfather planted 2000 miles away. And he, she didn't know, she doesn't know my grandfather's name, but my, my daughters are being discipled through, through a couple intermediaries by their great grandfather 
that's what legacy looks like, right? Selfless legacy. Wow. Uh, but uh, but anyway, so him and then just people who who loved me. And I remember one time saying, you know, you know, how what does it mean to be a Christian? How do you follow? And and my and my mom told me about sin, and so I, I started following God, God as a young as a young kid in the context of someone who just went to church on a daily basis. But it wasn't until probably you know living overseas in in on military bases where I started. I think everybody has a not a crisis of faith, but a a moment when they have to decide to take ownership of of it for themselves. Yes, and it happens around fourteen or fifteen, and it happens again maybe in the twenties. Um, and where you have to, and some people think they're got to get resaved, but the truth is they're just realizing, no, they're going to do it themselves. Um, are you going to, when, when your parents don't go to church, are you going to go when your parents don't tell you to read the word, what are you going to do when no one's looking? Guess what? Your life has begun. Are you ready to do this yourself? And I had a lot, that's, that's when those are the jumping off points for a lot of, a lot of men, a lot of people, they walk away from the faith, 14, 15, 16, 20, 21, 22, because they're like, you know what? This isn't answering the questions I have about life. And so they, um, when they finally get those answers from someplace else, that's where they run to instead. Mm. Um, and there's a quote that my a mentor of mine in ministry had on his wall. And I remind myself of it. He says, there's nothing more detrimental to the faith of a youth than for them to make the disconcerting discovery that the men who have advocated their faith are men of mediocre ability, mm. you know? So I, I was determined just never to never be one of those men of mediocre ability. I don't, I don't want someone to look at me, at 15, and when I was when I was 30, and go, I don't know what being a Christian means, but if it means what what Steve is, I don't want that. Mm. You know, why do people walk away from their faith? Is because they think there's somebody who gives them better answers to life's questions than this guy. Mm. No, guess what? Let me tell you, those are like I think about what Jeremiah two says. Prophet says, I got these two problems with my people. One, they've forsaken me, the fount of living water, and they've dug for themselves cisterns that don't hold any water. <laughs> And one of my passions is going, hey, guess what? You're, you're, you're right now, you think your faith is, the faith at church is childish and you're running to that well. Let me show you. Let me show you how you're actually running to an empty cistern, doesn't hold any water. In the process, you're forsaking the fount of living water. Mm. Let, let me, let, and you're going to run, and I want you to know that you're welcome back anytime. But like, I don't know how many times when I was a college professor, a, um, a freshman would come in. I used to kid people, I hope to be one day as smart as every college freshman thinks yeah. they are. <laughs> but um, So true. But, but like, they would go, I got this one question. I got this problem. I'm like, oh, that's a great question. That, I'm so glad you're asking that question. Uh, I can tell you about 10 other people who've answered it, asked that question and answered it really well in church history. Which one do you want? You want it from 200 AD or 400 AD or six? I, there's a lot of them. Good, I have good news. You're not the first person to answer that question. And there's a lot of really good answers. Yeah. Um, but so, some people, don't you feel like they've got to, no matter what we say, they've got to find out for themselves by going to that cistern and feeling this is empty, yeah. this is not doing yep. for me what I thought, and then they come back to hopefully someone like you or myself that is staying the course and is like, dude, it works. Try yep. this. There, there, there are two kinds of people, uh, at least, but like one of them is like, I'm going to learn from other people's mistakes. That looks like it's stupid. I'm not going to do that. And there are some people that they have to try it themselves to see if it won't work. Um, I heard a wise quote. It said, the loneliest thing in life is when you experience that which you thought would deliver the ultimate and it has let you down. Mm. Okay. And all, our, all of our life, all of our life is just a temptation to believe um, that something else will fulfill you other than Jesus. Yes. Okay. And so if you won't believe me, go try it. Yeah. Okay. And like, there's a, 
Okay, talking about raw, there's a movie that asks all the right questions, even if the answers it gives are kind of kind of not great, but the movie Fight Club. Oh, yeah. Um, and there's this one line in it that's amazing, like when Brad Pitt and Ed Norton meet for the first time, and, uh, and he goes, um, oh, that's clever. How's that working out for you? Hmm. How's what working out for me? Being clever. It's like, pretty good. Then keep it up then. And like, sometimes I think uh, God's saying, how's, how's, how's being that, that politically minded working out for you? Oh, keep it up. But, but when it's, when it stops working for you, when, when you finally get to the end of that and you realize it's not nourishment, it's a broken cistern, realize that the fountain of living water is still here. Yeah. When, you, when you've gone to that dead end, when you've gone as far as you can go, realize you can always come home and you never stop being my kid. Mm. So that's good, man. Well, why don't we do this? I'm going to ask a couple more questions and then we're going to take a break and I'm going to just let the listeners know. Then we're going to dive into part two of this conversation with Dr. Stephen L. Jones. And this is going to be a two episode conversation. So we're going to wrap up with just a few more personal questions and then him and I are going to take a break, go grab a refill on coffee or whatever. And then we'll come back and that's when we'll start diving into Uh, some of these important questions regarding abortion. But I did, before we take the break, I wanted to ask you, what about your call to ministry, educational pursuits, things like that? Yeah. So um, I have an idiosyncratic pastoral background. I I tell people I don't fit neatly into most people's boxes. Um, uh, I'm too professorial to be a good pastor and too pastoral to be a good professor. And I just slide through all of the cracks. And... um, and so here's what happened. I felt I, I rediscovered, not rediscovered my faith, but I, I discovered, began to discover my calling my freshman year in college. I was an engineering major at Baylor. Uh, and I just figured I was a smart guy. I was good at math. And so I was going to study that. Um, felt called to ministry. And a mentor of mine said, um, don't be a religion major. They'll teach you all that stuff in seminary. Um, study anything else. Study what it means to be a human, history, philosophy, whatever. Study about life learn about life, and then learn about how Christ, Christ answers those questions. Well, I knew I wanted to read Greek, and so I, I read the New Testament, the original language. I took a Greek class, ended up being really good at it, and at the end of college, I had to choose between paying to go to seminary or, um, or getting a scholarship to go to graduate school. So I ended up using them as my ministry training, uh, this secular mode of going to a secular academics, and uh, it is is equipped me with the ability to, you know, learn in a wide variety of contexts, engage with a lot of different kinds of people, right. Who obviously don't just don't agree with me on everything and learn to um, speak in ways that can be heard and accepted. Mm. Um, it's also led me down a path I couldn't have predicted. Right. My, my grandpa used to say the, the way you discern the will of God is you, you favor your bent, you follow the gleam and you watch for the open door. You favor your bent. You lean into how God made you. You use your gifts, your inclinations, your passions, your hopes, your dreams, your fears. Do the thing you think um, God wants you to do, and and but then hold on loosely. Maybe it's going to go. God's going to take you in a direction you couldn't have imagined. Mm. So favor your bent. Then follow the gleam. Look for the look for the way in which God's trying to provide for you. Like the uh, um, the scholarship at the end. I'm, I chose this other way because it was going to free money. And then watch for the open door. Look for the thing that never thought to enter your head to do. But maybe the reason you're on the path you're on is because God was leading you here and you never would have gone here on your own. Mm. And um, and that's kind of how I ended up. I just was always on the one hand, just trying to learn and study and do the thing that was in front of me, always kind of taking the next step and then realizing, you know, a lot of times I would get lost and didn't know where I was going, but I ended up in a place I, 
I love doing. I So I've spent some time as an academic. I've worked in both small Christian universities and big secular universities. Um, I've worked in churches. I've worked in it just it's a wide variety of places. God has used me in a whole bunch of different places. And it's been exciting um, to see how God has used my you know, my, my training, my expertise, and my experience. There's, there's a thing that someone encouraged me to in those moments in that taco shop when I was wondering where I was going, that dry spell was caused by the fact that I was going, God, why'd you lead me here? Like, mm-hmm. I have no idea where this is going. I feel like I'm at a dead end. I feel like I could have, I could have gotten to a better place a lot quicker if I'd gone that way. I hold myself to a weird schedule. And so sometimes in my mind, I think people with my education should either be at a big name university by now, or at a big name, I should be a senior pastor at a big church. Mm-hmm. How come I'm here? And, um, and a friend of mine just reminded me, Steve, there's, there's no wasted time with God. Mm. Um, Joseph learned the things that were going to make him the Prince of Egypt in prison. And as a slave, um, he thought he was forgotten by God and by everybody else in that prison, but God was equipping him with the things he needed to, to end up being the person he needed to be at the right moment. Um, and so there's no wasted time. So the path you've been led on is a path that um, you'll see one day you had to have been led this path or you wouldn't have had the exact expertise you have to answer a specific question at a specific time. But right now it just feels, it feels random. Mm. So where are the places that you have served and taught? Okay. So my, um, so my, my doctor's from the university of Texas. I've, I've lived in to try to describe my resume is kind of crazy. I was, um, working as a youth pastor in San Antonio, mm-hmm. uh, driving to Austin every day, going to graduate school. And then I got a job as a college and young adults pastor in the Bay Area of California, okay, San Francisco. And I was there trying to finish up my dissertation and and still working with college and young adults. Ended up coming back to Austin, finishing up my doctorate there and working at a church in Austin as a teaching pastor. And then I taught at Baylor for a year. And then came to Houston to teach at Houston Baptist University and ended up teaching at Rice. And that's when I discovered the church I'm at right now, which is Kingsland. I, I started here as a member. Mm. And then I started as a Sunday school teacher, then a Wednesday night Bibles teacher. And then they hired me as a teaching pastor. My job right now is I teach and I preach as often as they'll let me. But I mainly write Bible study curriculum. I write their, their adult Bible study curriculum. And the reason why I think I'm good at it is because I, I love showing people how um, the answers to all of life questions are found in God's word that you can, you should read the Bible for yourself, just not by yourself. And mm. let me give you some simple tricks that you can, you can, I can give you so that if, that, that if you know this stuff, you can understand and seek God by studying his word and see how it won't train. If you plant yourself here, if how it won't change your life. Well, that's it for part one of my conversation with Dr. Stephen L. Jones. Stay tuned for part two, because that will be the very next episode that drops here on the Grizz podcast. And listen, guys, if this podcast is helping to guide, encourage, and equip you as a Christian man, then please consider partnering with our nonprofit ministry by becoming one of our monthly supporters for the Grizz podcast for just like $10 per month or maybe $25 per month, whatever you can do. Each week, we drop helpful content free of charge to you, the listener. And that's what we want to keep doing. We don't litter our episodes with commercials and sponsorships. We rely on the generous support of listeners like you to make this ministry happen. So in the show notes, you won't just see a link with contact information for Dr. Stephen L. Jones. 
which by the way, I do encourage you to reach out to him if this episode impacted you and let him know that. But there's also a link to our ministry website. The Grizz Podcast is an outreach of Narrow Trail Ministries Incorporated, and our website is narrowtrail.com, all one word, narrowtrail.com, and that is where you can go to our give page, and you can choose to give specifically to the Grizz Podcast. You can set up automatic giving to come right from your debit or credit card or bank account, and I promise it is safe secure, it's easy, and it is quick to set up. Guys, what you heard on this episode is the kind of stuff that we want to keep providing, more good, solid, encouraging, and challenging content to help you become the man whom God is calling you to be. So join with us and help support this ministry. And also, tell a friend about it. If this episode was a blessing to you, then take the link and just text message like one friend and say, hey, man, check this out. This is really good. I think you'll like it. And that's it. Thank you so much for listening. And for those of you who support our ministry, really appreciate it. I am out. Mm-hmm.